Yeah! Kick it! All right, welcome into the Lone Star Lowdown. It is July 19th, 2022, when we are in studio. Ty Henderson, Corey Guidry, Shea Holt. Uh, we're going to start the show off today talking a little MLB. We got the All-Star game going on right now. We had the home run derby last night. If anyone really watched it, I didn't really. Uh, let's get let's start, the, let's start off there. So, the home run derby happened. Uh, the format, time-based. Juan Soto won, correct? Yeah, Juan Soto defeated 21-year-old prospect Julio Rodriguez, who put on an absolute show. He's a Mariners prospect. Uh, so you that, so you watched that? I watched night. it, yeah, yeah. I oh. enjoy the Home Run Derby, you know. Um, it's definitely more enjoyable for me than, like, the dunk contest because um, at least there's an objective winner. Like, dunk contest, it's subjective. It's like, oh, I thought this was cooler than this. It's just the judge, yeah. Who, who's, it's ju- like, who's judging that night? But, you know? yeah, and it's like the MLB Home Run Derby, it's like who hit the ball over the wall the most times. Um, it's we, quantifiable. Exactly, exactly. And Juan Soto, man, is an abs- he is one guy that I'd love to watch because he's one of the only guys who's, like, putting 500-foot home runs, like, I have never like I've really never seen anyone hit the ball as far as him in home run derbies. It's pretty insane to watch. Who pitched to him? You know, uh, I think it was just a batting practice. That's pitcher. one of the biggest things in in the home run derby because there were some guys you could. I watched some highlights on on Instagram whenever I just you know yep. was forced to watch it, and uh, you could tell that some of the pit, the the guys throwing the ball were significantly slower. Than the others, and that's why I hate the timed format. And I wish they would really. I wish they'd go back to the the ten outs. Yeah, the outs is just it. The time format just seems rushed, and it's like you get down to a minute, and you have to hit this many. You just got to hurry. Whether there's an out format, everyone's kind of operating in the same parameters. It's like there's ten or twenty outs, however many there is, and it's like if you you just get as many home runs as you can. And then now they have like the the bonus situation. Yeah, where, I didn't. So how how does that work? You get thirty extra seconds if you do what? If you hit one over a certain distance. Oh, well, that's yeah. Stupid. So if you hit like a, it was like four fifty or four seventy. I can't remember. If you hit it over this, you get like an extra thirty seconds. If you hit a home run over that distance, a home run's a home run to me, man. I don't care if you're putting them just over the wall or you're mashing them five hundred feet. And a home run, it, it doesn't matter anymore in the game. You exactly. Know? I it, mean, it's a great highlight. The old school way. So we all agree the old school way they did the home run derby was better, in our opinion. Like with the outs. Yeah. And, I mean, the last home run derby that I can remember watching and it being memorable, like being cool, was the Josh Hamilton one where he broke the. I, I think someone broke it this year. For or Julio Rodriguez hit 32 in the first round this year. Yeah, that had but, to have been but, close to no, some but, kind of record. But the last time Josh, when Josh Hamilton, he didn't even win that year. I think he hit like 45 in one round, but it was with the outs. And he kind of yeah, and he hit so many that he, he kind of gassed out. He, yeah. yeah, and then the rest, the second half of that year, he was terrible, and everyone <laughs> said it was because that because he wasted all of it. He changed his swing or something for the for the home run derby. Yeah. Another interesting thing, old man Albert Pujols beat Schwarber in the first round. Schwarber was minus 360 to beat the old man Albert Pujols in round one. They kind of, he was the lowest seed, which I don't really like the seeding either. It's kind of, I like the old school. Maybe we're just old school. Why was Corey Seager in, in the home run derby? He was a three seed. Dude, I don't like the fucking rounds. Yeah, no, because <laughs> it pins two guys up. What if what if the top two guys in the whole thing so, have have the top we, amount of home runs? That's in the what first happened. Round? Seager hit twenty four, and that's more than anyone except Julio Rodriguez that he faced in the first round. So he hit literally the second most out of anyone in the first round and didn't advance. That's so stupid. Yeah, yeah, and especially with a t- with the timed nature of the, the new home run derby, you're gonna wear out. You're gonna wear out in those first two rounds, hitting you know almost you know fifty home runs, or just taking all your swings. I mean, how can you expect the final, uh, the final showcase to be nearly as entertaining as those early rounds? And why wouldn't you want it to take as long as possible? You've got a full crowd of people who I assume are there for the whole weekend. They're there buying beer, buying food. I mean, that's the thing. So this year. I don't know if they've done this in the past, but I noticed it this year for the first time. The MLB draft was held. Where's the All Star game? It's, it's Los held, Angeles. It's, yeah, Dodger so they, Stadium. They were both in LA, and the draft led up to the All Star game. So I think the idea was to get 
more viewers on the draft and have it be more of an event. Because, yeah, like, when you talk about the NFL and NBA, the draft is pretty... Like, people sit down and watch those two drafts. MLB's probably trying to get... Their draft to be more yeah, like did, that. Did y'all notice like more stuff on social media this year? I did. Of, yeah, of, of seeing players like in their jerseys getting interviewed. Like I noticed more guys night. actually there. Like our guy Ivan Melendez from uh, Texas was the forty third overall pick to the Arizona Diamondbacks, and he was there. You know, getting interviewed, and that's smart for them. They should try to make it more of an event. Like why not? Well, I think they started broadcasting it just a couple years ago. Um, I'll have to look and see exactly when, but it ML- wasn't MLB on TV. Network. This was always just a you know. Uh, Room full of guys, um, you know, scouts and general managers making picks, especially because there used to be 40-something rounds. Yeah, yeah. They shrunk it down to 20. Um, you know, they've made some changes, um, and, and they're really trying to push uh, fan participation. They also moved the draft. The draft, if y'all remember, used to be held during the college baseball season, and you'd have this huge rift of, like, all the players who just got drafted, now they don't want to compete anymore because they want to go make that money. Yeah. They just got drafted in the first five rounds, and they're going to be millionaires now. Yeah, because like in the College World Series, you'd be like, oh, this guy was just a second-round pick of exactly. the Colorado Rockies. And that was bad for college baseball. Yeah. Well, do you think the MLB even really cares about college baseball? Do you think that was something just they did for the the good of baseball as a whole, you know, as a game? I mean, uh, they probably would – well, okay, if those players are going to go on to play anyway and not do the whole sit-out-the-bowl-game bullshit, then, yeah, you're going to take some dude. Ideally, oh, I'm going to take the best college pitcher in America, and, you know, he's probably on a pretty good program that's at least going to play in the postseason – He's going to have, you know, potentially five more starts ahead of him to get injured to fuck, you know, to get Tommy Johns uh, <laughs> before he ever, before, while we still own his rights, yeah. before we ever signed him. So yeah, hell yeah, the MLB wants that college baseball season to be over, have as much film as possible on these players before they select them in the first, you know, twenty rounds of of, of base of the baseball draft. Man, come on now, well, yeah, well, it's I- better for both sports. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, so the Rangers picked number three or third in the draft. Third in the draft. Yeah. Kumar Rocker out of Vanderbilt uh, matched him back up with his old teammate uh, at Vanderbilt, uh, Jack Leader, who's one of the big up and coming pitchers in all of baseball right now. In the he made his debut, correct? Uh, not that long ago. Yeah, in and, the major leagues. Yeah, and it, I mean, he only, it only took him not even a full season yeah. in in the minors to. To make it all make it up to the show, um, they had a nice bit, little back and forth on Twitter. I saw the the meme of the two yeah the kids. two kids yeah, yeah I, I thought that, that was funny. Um, but yeah, he so he got actually got drafted last year in the top ten by the Mets and didn't pass his physical. There was some injury concern, so it was a huge surprise when the Rangers took him at number three. Uh, but he was he got cleared by all the all the doctors and everything. But and he is known as the most like MLB ready. Starting pitcher, yeah. Like from what I've seen, like when you talk about talent, he's like top five. But a lot of these ranking sites, you ranked prospects. They had him ranked a little bit lower, but I think that's all just injury, physical concerns. It's not like talent concerns or anything like that. Yeah, and I saw his name's escaping me, but the Rangers in the third round or the fourth round got a another starting pitcher that out of high school that was on a lot of boards was the number one guy, too. I don't know why he fell to the fourth round. I saw that as well. But a lot of the news outlets in Dallas are saying that the Rangers somehow got away with the top two pitchers in the draft, and they didn't Peter have a... Peter or Por- Brock Porter. Brock, Brock Porter. Porter. Yeah, okay. right here, I'm just looking at uh, MLB.com, so who knows about their rankings, but in, that was 109th overall pick, and they have him as the 11th prospect. Yeah, I, so, so I don't know what happened there, why that was the case. There's probably uh, strong sentiment that he's going to go to college. That's just what usually happens with yeah, a really badass prospect that's clearly, you know, gets drafted. That's that's drafted below his slot. It, it's almost a uh, on the inside. They just know he's going to college. Yeah, but I feel like most t- in the first five to seven rounds, from what I've I've heard and read, is those are pretty much guaranteed guys that they know that they've discussed the money before they've with their agents and with the players personally and they and they know that they're going to sign. So with Kumar Rocker, um he would have went to the Mets. It wasn't like he went back to school willingly. It was like they just couldn't they didn't pass him. Like no, they didn't sign him. He couldn't go back to school. He played independent ball. Yeah, he played he played like got like 10 starts mm. in just an independent league. Tri-City uh, something or other. Yeah, I mean 
all out. Um, He's talented, man. Yeah, from that's what I've seen. it's pretty weird. I don't know exactly how it works in the MLB like that, where you just you select a guy, he doesn't sign. I think you just get a compensatory pick the next year. Yeah, because there's rounds in between rounds, kind of like in the NFL, where if you lose a top tier free agent, they give you like a fourth. Anywhere from like a fourth to seventh round pick. It's similar, but uh, it's it's way more involved in Major League Baseball with the competitive. It's like competitive adjustment picks. Some uh, I'd have to. Yeah, no, they they still do it for like same thing as the NFL for free. If you lose a free agent too, or if you sign a good free agent, like the Rangers didn't have a second and third round pick this year because they signed Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager. Yeah, but but if for instance you like the Astros had the very first pick in the draft one well four years in a row, but uh, <laughs> they drafted this kid Brady Aiken out yep. of UCLA and they didn't sign him, and so the next year they got the second overall pick and, and the first. No, no, no. I think the next they got the, the, the they were a little bit better that year. They got like the second and the fourth. So they didn't get two picks though. Well, their real pick yes, their real pick was the fourth. And they got that. Oh, so they got the second and the fourth. They got the second, and okay. then the second was just like this made-up pick inserted into the draft. Yeah, uh, because they they didn't. And then if had they not gotten that guy, it would have become like something even lower. But you know, there's all kinds of these inner workings to like I guess fairly compensate teams not being able to sign these prospects and not making a you know hundred plus loss season just uh, like a, you know not getting anything for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So the the draft is well calculated. Uh, I'm sure you could, you know, I'm sure there are people get, that get paid a lot of money to be scholars on all the oh, inner workings of it. Yeah, the baseball like farm system prospect development system is very deep and the Astros have one of the best ones, but it's always weird because like Garrett Cole for example was the number 1 pick to the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2011. And it took him like 6 or 7 years to even be a good MLB pitcher. So it's like you just don't even know sometimes like how long it's going to take these guys or like you know, when are they actually yeah. going to get on the field and perform? Like that, it took him so long to become good. He eventually did, but it wasn't for the team who drafted him. I think that's something you they they look into. They're like, do we need a guy at this position in a year or two, or can we wait five years for this guy to develop? Because he, I mean, these kids are a lot of times eighteen, getting drafted out of yeah. high school. The fr- Drew Jones, Matt Holiday, yeah, Matt Holiday, number one pick, um, or his son. What's what's his first name? Matt Holiday's son. Oh, Jackson Holiday. Jackson, Jackson Holiday. He looks. Thing. He looks like he's fourteen years old. Long. He's yeah. like long hair. I'm like, how is this guy the number one pick in all of baseball? A but lot. Of, it looks like he batted like 700 <laughs> in high school. Yeah. Like 40 homers. Andrew and, Jones, the former. Uh, people were surprised because Andrew Jones, the former center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles, um, was a beast. And his son, the Baltimore Orioles, had the first pick, and they didn't take. His son Drew Jones, who ended up going second to the yeah. Diamondbacks, also out of high school. But for a first time that's ever happened, where two former players' sons were picked one and two. I mean, yeah, of course that's probably the. first I wonder time. if he was pissed about that, but uh, Drew Jones is like six four, one eighty, so he's a, he's a big kid. Uh, well, I you think Andrew? I if I would be happy if my son wasn't going to Baltimore. Arizona seems like a much better place to be, but I mean they 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 aren't that great either. Yeah, but. they're both. But that's what happens just, if you're the top prospect. Just in the, the AL East, if Baltimore, I mean, hey, they went on that winning streak recently. They've been doing better, but year to year, you're expecting them to be at the the bottom of that division. Hey, uh, speaking of the Baltimore Orioles, uh, Douglas Hodo, he got drafted out there, I believe, in the sixth round. Really, sixth or seventh? Yeah, one yeah. of those. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and um, I'm not. I've no idea if he'll be signing or. I don't even honest. I think he has a few more years of eligibility here at Texas, so it'll be interesting to see what he does. And then um, also uh, the St. Louis Cardinals snagged Pete Hansen, and I believe the fourth round he went a little bit below his projected uh, slot. I saw him in some mock drafts earlier on in, in the year, going in the first round, mid to late first round, you know, uh, potentially. Uh, but he slipped all the way into the, I believe the, uh, the fourth, I think is what it was, about a 100 picks in or so. And then Olive and Melendez in the mid-40s went to the Diamondbacks. What do y'all uh, – and there are some other uh, players. We can pull them up to see where they went. But those were the three highest-slotted Longhorns I saw. Uh, and, yeah, obviously Melendez went way above his expected slot uh, in the uh, early second round. Yeah, I think, you know, everyone sees the numbers, um, at least my buddies who, like, you know, they don't – really follow the sport that close. They're like, hey, how does a guy who leads the league, college, and um, like all the hitting stats, OPS, RBIs, home runs, how does he go uh, slip to the second round? And it's like, 
he doesn't. I guess it's like because he they see him as just like a first baseman or a yeah, DH. It's, it's he doesn't mostly, offer much in the field. I think and it's kind of why mostly because position. Yeah, I don't position. think first baseman ever. They're not a very highly valued. Because you can find a slugger, probably. There's a lot of guys that can that can hit you home runs, and that's a position you can play until you're like 40. And he's an older guy. He's not as you know. He might be more polished and get to the MLB faster than an 18 year old kid out of high school, but lower ceiling. Well, just as far as longevity, you're gonna have to probably pay him sooner. Uh, you you know gonna have less league control. And um, yeah, ultimately he'll be 30 a lot sooner than the kid who's 18. Um, but uh, in the MLB, your production in college, your stats matter the the smallest among all major sports in their respective drafts. Uh, you know, in NF, in the NFL, you just will see a hot quarterback for the best team. You know, the Heisman Trophy winner per se uh, get shot up draft boards because you know most just because of his play. Like, that matters more than anything in the NFL. Your play in college, where in the Major League Draft, uh, I mean, Major League Baseball Draft, it just it just isn't like that. Uh, they don't care how many home runs you've hit or your, or really even maybe your ERA for it's some more, pitchers. More, it's more about the physical traits. Yes, what they can, how, and how they can develop you. Your, you know, they'd rather take a, a six foot six, 200-pound, 18-year-old who had a, uh, you know, a, a shaky year, can't really hit a spot that well, but throws 99 miles an hour than a Pete Hansen who solid, yeah. can hit his spots, but really tops out at 93, 94 miles an hour. These days they're going to value that velocity, but also Trey Faltini, seventh-round pick to the Reds. Um, I wonder if some of these guys, um, I don't know if you guys know, um, like I wonder how many of these guys we're going to see coming back. Uh, you have Murphy Staley going um, the 10th round to the Nationals. You had um, – Let's see, Skylar Messenger going in the 19th round to the Rockies. I think they. He, he, Skylar Messenger, I think he. Hometown boy right there. Yeah. He's from Colorado. Uh, you know, came to the University Please of come Texas back. To play. No, I don't think he can come back. Oh, I think he's, he's not. He's gone. He's he was definitely a graduate going to the Rockies. Series. Okay. Or at least, you know, he's going to their system. Uh, he came to Texas uh, in large part from Kansas because Troy uh, Tulowitzki was here coaching. Um, and that was, you know, who he grew up looking up to as a uh, third baseman. Um, you know, infielder. We're gonna miss him. Colorado. We'll probably miss him on the Texas he's, staff. You he's think? still supposed to be hanging around and, oh, yeah? and helping out, but it's more. He wanted to be more flexible, be able to spend more time with his family, and he, he's. I think he's giving just consulting on an MLB level, college level, multiple teams. Yeah, because there were some rumors like that USC was trying to offer him like a coaching spot. Yeah, um, things I, like I, that. But I think he just he doesn't re- need the money. Certainly, yeah, I think he realized. He should spend a little bit less time around the game, more time with his family. I think yeah. that's more of what it was. Another thing, he can't be a coach here at Texas because he doesn't have a college degree. And I think that might be the same thing at USC. I'm not sure about that, but that was why he was an assistant uh, to the team and not an actual coach. Really? It's because he doesn't ha- – yeah, you have to have – apparently you have to have an uh, undergraduate degree to be a coach. Well, the there was Texas. one game this year where Pierce got ejected and he was the the manager – the acting manager for that game. Well, that might be. So. I think they, I think they can just pick anybody off the bench. Yeah, be, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Fucking, you know, you could have made Ivan Melendez the fucking manager <laughs> for one game. No, they, if you really I, they, to. they. I love when they do put a player out there for like if the third base coach gets ejected, they're just like, oh, throw yeah, throw Ivan out there and just have him throw the signs out. Well, it's, fuck yeah, man. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Give these players a little more responsibility. Um, as long as they're not on the fucking you know at the bat. Or on the base, I think it's fine, and you save money that way. I bet Major League Baseball teams, the small market ones at least, probably do that shit. Like, would you not just have one dude who doesn't play that much? But, oh, yeah, you're just getting an older player that's just being groomed into that role. But, yeah, we're not going to pay a fuck. It's like not paying a kicker and a punter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just building that into your roster. So, uh, real quick, if we change it. Subject just a little bit. Um, you want to talk about Juan Soto's deal that's kind of been going viral a bit. He was offered a 15-year, $440 million contract by the Nationals. He turned it down, and he had a lot of people like, man, what are you doing turning down $440 million? You know, um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, obviously they won a World Series on what was kind of a lightning-in-a-bottle year. That Juan, that was Juan Soto's maybe second year in the league. Uh, I don't believe he was a rookie, but he was I mean, a he's big still part like, of that team. He's only 23. 
now, so he was he's probably a, 21. He's a bright young star. If he ever hits the open market, he'll probably break the record. Uh, I don't know who has it for the largest, longest contract in baseball history, at least for a hitter. Mike Trout. And, um, yeah, uh, he'll get that kind of money. I don't necessarily think he's as, anywhere near as good a player as a Mike Trout. Um, I don't know that he's worth $440 million, but he plays with the swagger and the excitement of this new generation of baseball fans, uh, you know, this uh, this Vlad Guerrero Jr. style, this... Um, Acuna. Uh, Robert Acuna. Uh, what's the guy for the for the Padres? Tatis. Yeah, Tatis. The bat, the bat flip, you know. They're, they're trying to make baseball cooler. Yeah. I like it personally. Oh, yeah, it makes things more interesting. Yeah, I mean, it... it it, it does. I just don't think ultimately, if you know, if I was a baseball GM, I don't see Juan Soto as that much better than a guy we could maybe get for the money and where that goes. The Nationals, uh, they have had some star players depart. I mean, y'all remember Bryce Harper? They couldn't keep him. And guess what they do? The next year they win a fucking World Series. So I don't even know if there's pressure on the franchise to sign these badass players, they already got what they needed out of him. Um, I think there's more pressure. There's more pressure to trade him. If he's, if they know he's not going to sign trade him now and get something out. of him. That's what I'm really getting at is ultimately what is this guy even worth on the trade market? Obviously you probably get a haul of prospects and that, that are probably for your team, uh, you know, more beneficial in the future, you know, and it's, I don't remember um, seeing like this many young guys making such a difference when you talk about all the guys you just mentioned, Acuna's of the world, the um, Sotos, the Tatis, the Guerreros. These guys are all 24 years old or under. And J-Rod, Julio Rodriguez, who just lit up the home run derby, hit s- more than six- 62 home runs in the first two rounds of the uh, home run derby. Like This dude looks to be a stud. Like There's just so many young, talented guys. Jordan. Jordan, 24. Yeah. I mean, we I mean, man, when you look at his deal, you got to think we got a bargain for him. Oh, totally. Yeah. I don't really know what point I was making there. It's just, you know, there's so many young, talented guys that it's like, do you really need to pay someone that much if you're a small market team like the Nationals? Uh, I wouldn't call the Nationals small market, man. I'd say I'd say mid market for sure. I they mean, just Washington, don't they don't sign these big deals though. We've never I mean, seen they, them. They signed Strasburg to his deal, uh, which was pretty big at the time. Um, they couldn't keep Harper. I actually saw Bryce Harper's uh, first game in the MLB live at a Nationals ballpark. They have a interesting setup there. It's like kind of on the on the river. Yeah, I've been actually. I've been to that ballpark several times uh, on my trips to DC. It's a it's nice. It's newer. Um, you know, yeah, it's kind of right there. I I think that's is that the Hudson or not the Hudson? That's uh. The, the Potomac, the, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whichever, whichever river Washington crossed, fucking. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, yeah, it uh, it's nice. You go right across. It's just on the outskirts. I think it's literally maybe in Virginia or or maybe it's in Maryland. I'm not. It's in Virginia. Yeah, and uh, it's a nice stadium, man. Uh, a great. I mean, we'll talk a little Washington D.C. tourist here. After you go see all those like monuments, and there's a couple days of that. Go to Smithsonian's. I mean, really, all there is to do in Washington D.C which is kind of a hoity-toity place, is go to, like, a baseball game, really. Um, I've And I've also been to the uh, the uh, Redskin Commander Landover Maryland Stadium. That's that, that, I, I heard that's a dog shit stadium. It's it's out in, like, the, out in like a fucking swamp, oh, man. Did you see the videos last year of literal sewage? Just, like, a sewage pipe broke, and they were just, like, sh- like liquid shit just pouring on everyone in the stands is, during the game. I did not <laughs> see that. such a command. And, like, there was this one video where Jalen Hurts is, like, walking to the locker room, and there's a bunch of Commanders fans, like, by the tunnel, and then the stands that they're standing on collapse, and, like, everyone's falling on each other in the stands. Like, so I just, Sell the team, Snyder. Actually, don't. I'm a Cowboys fan. Let's just yeah, keep, keep, let's keep being terrible. I just remember from personal experience that wherever we parked, we had to basically, like, walk through a green belt. And like I'm talking like like getting shoes wet and shit like to get to the stadium based on where the parking was because there's nothing around it. It's just literally it's literally out in like some fucking swampland in uh, Landover, Maryland, and you got to trek in. And then uh, there I was for the Texas. It wasn't to watch a uh, Redskins game. It was, it was for the Maryland Texas. It was for game. the Maryland Texas game. And there was like a three hour 
uh, rain delay, man. So I like I got to like read all the little history and shit they had around the stadium. You know how uh, NFL stadiums do yeah. that. Um, the storied history of of the Redskins. Um, man, that was a rough day. I'm sad you had to be there for that one. Yeah, yeah. That was probably the worst rain delay for any sporting event I've ever been a part of. Just we were down like three touchdowns. Was it before the game started, or was it, it was like? I think it was right after it kind of started, maybe around even like the half. It did not start well, I remember, though. And we were all in Austin, you know, everyone's watching around TV, just arguing for hours about, you know, just nothing. Just being. It was like the first game of the year, right? Oh, no, yeah. yeah. It was no. kickoff. And, and we had, it we might had, have even been Herman's first game. No, we, we had already lost to Maryland the year before. That was also a Herman year? Yes. Okay. We lost right. them back-to-back years. That was the home game, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. That where there was a pick. We got a Holton Hill uh, pick six. Holton Hill. First wow. drive. It was it was like our freshman year of college. I remember just being in the student section like, oh, we're going to be great. Like Herman. Texas is back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then just we got stomped. I left the game by like the second quarter because we were down like four touchdowns. Hey, uh, we came back the next week and beat Notre Dame in overtime. Yeah. Well, Texas is that the is swoops back. game? What's that? Yeah, was that the swoops game? Yeah, where, yeah. Yeah. Oh man, Charlie Strong days. Well, we kind of went off on a little <laughs> Texas tangent there. Yeah, well, I'm, I hope everybody enjoyed our Major League Baseball uh, um, segment here. Uh, does anybody else have anything to bring up? Do we no, probably cover just it all? plug socials and wrap the segment up. Yeah, uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Lone Star Load, Lone Star underscore Lowdown, and on Twitter at Lone Star LD. Uh, remember, you can. Uh, listen to this podcast on all major platforms, including SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Uh, be sure to follow us and give us a like. And we'll be right back with more entertaining, engaging content on the Lone Star Lowdown. Back with the Lone Star Lowdown. We have a very special guest, Nick Costello, former University of Texas golfer. Um, he's going to be interviewing with us today. Uh, how you doing, Nick? Doing great. How are you all? Oh, you, you know, uh, it's been a long day, but we're happy to have you here. Uh, so you recently qualified for a PGA Tour Canada event. Uh, was that last weekend? That was uh, the qualifier was Yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah, and and so what the tournament starts on Thursday. Okay, cool. Is that this uh, Osprey Valley Open I'm seeing? Yes. All right, so you're out in uh, Toronto. Yeah, I'm the outskirts. How is it out there? It's pretty nice. Um, I've been to upstate New York before, then which is right across, I think Lake Erie or. Maybe not. I don't know. One of the Great Lakes, but pretty, pretty similar. Hey Nick, it's uh it's Corey Gidger here, man. Uh, could you kind of give us a breakdown on like what the Canadian PGA Tour is like? Is that different from the normal PGA Tour for people who wouldn't know? Like, how does that kind of work? Yeah, so it's you could think of it as being like Double A baseball for the MLB. Okay. Um. You're, it's sanctioned by the PGA Tour, and there's another tour on a, on the same level, uh, which is the Latin American Tour, and that one runs from about very, and then their season kind of just ended at, like a few weeks ago. Mm. Um, and the goal for the people playing on those tours is to what? So like the, it's like the Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah, it's it's the step below the Corn Ferry Tour. So the people who finish in the top ten on the points list for Latin America or Canada uh, end up getting Corn Ferry Tour cards or status. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. That's pretty cool how that works. Um, so, did you qualify for just one event, or are you going to be a part of like the tour going forward, or do you have to like so, place a certain a certain? Yeah. So. In April, I played Q School for Canadian Tour, and they had about six or seven sites kind of all across the U.S. 
and I played up in Seattle and you had to get top 30 at each site to earn uh, some sort of status. So if you got first place at the site, you got full status, which means you get to play in every event of the season. And then the people who got second through ninth at each site uh, got guaranteed starts until there's a reshuffle which is after this week's event and then everywhere from 10th to 30th get conditional status so where does that put you right now i got 25th so i have conditional status all right so who who uh Um, who are some of the names that you played with at texas i know i know we've We've had some times on the 40 acres together and I've, I've met some, yeah. some of the guys, but, uh, it's yeah. for our listeners. So starting out as a freshman in fall 2016, um, the seniors were Gavin Hall and Taylor Funk, who both have a full Canadian tour status right now. So they've been playing all these tournaments, um, to start out the season. And then, so you got you got some homies up there. Yeah, yeah, we got a few guys up here. That's good. Um, then Scotty Scheffler and Doug Gim were juniors when I was a freshman. So did you did you get to meet Scotty and and them guys and hang out or what? They played on the same team. Oh. Oh, The, the golf team, yeah. I've, I've, I didn't know if there was like a JV. No, there, I feel like there's thing. a pretty. No, yeah. From from what I've from what I've gathered, in, group. I mean, most teams are about ten players or so, give or take. And what five play every weekend? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, some tournaments you'll bring six, but yeah, most standard is five to each tournament. So, um, break down what like a week on the University of Texas golf team uh, looks like. Um, are you are you playing golf every day? Obviously, you have school. Uh, what you know? What's your like routine going through a week or you know um, a quantifiable amount of time? Yeah. So, I think there's our situation is kind of unique in Austin because our home golf course and our practice facility is all the way out in Steiner ranch. So it's a good 30 minute drive at lunch every day. Um, and all of our class schedules, like we did the best we could to schedule our classes to finish all before noon. So it's an early morning for sure. Yeah. I mean, We'd have team workouts twice a week, Tuesday and Thursday at 6 a.m. And then we talk, we talking weights. Uh, yeah. So getting some games, some pretty light weights, you know, maybe some stretching. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I mean, I feel like that honestly is pretty big in golf. Just getting a good stretch in, in the morning before you go out there. Yeah. Keep you nice, loose and limber. So, man, I got to ask, man, I always wondered how, like, golfers who actually compete deal with pressure. Because, like, you know, I'm an amateur, terrible golfer myself. About a 20 handicap, proud to say. But, uh, so, like, let's say I go out, me and my buddies play. You know, I do a lot better than if we start betting money or something's on the line. Like, then I kind of tense up and I just suck. Even worse than I already am. So, like, how do you guys deal with pressure when, like, there's tournaments on the line or even like something like qualifying for a PGA event on the line. How do you kind of deal with that pressure when you're standing over the ball? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody feels that at like every level, no matter how good you are, but the best players are like able to kind of like harness those feelings and kind of apply it to like, I mean, the best players who perform under pressure are going to, like, take their game to another level when the pressure is put on yeah, them. use it to their and advantage, then, you're saying. Right. Mm, makes sense. And and then the way you get used to that, I guess, is playing a lot of money games against people who are better than you and, and then 
you know, when you're putting in the work, practicing, you can make situations and drills where you can apply a similar amount of pressure. So that, I mean, you can at least, when you have a four footer where it actually really matters for something in a tournament. You can think back to when you were game. You can think back to, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you're telling me that there's a pretty big connection between the gambling community and, uh, and golf. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's a, that sounds like something I'd, I'd, I'd like to be a part of more often. What's the most money you've ever won uh, on a round of golf or lost? I usually keep it. Well, I hope so. Under a thousand dollars. Oh well, no, I'm saying like, I've. I mean, I have friends who've lost a couple thousand, which like I In never one bothered day? to play for that much. Yeah. Oh my god. It's so just big kinda, ballers out there. I'm way too bad I mean, to ever think of anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, pl- I'm I mean, playing. I'm I, playing like I two bucks some, a hole. There's some people who play up in Dallas, and um, they play at the same club as Tony Romo, and he plays all the time, and always wants to gamble against them, and plays them straight up, and apparently he's like a nice little uh, gets kind of side money. job for them to yeah, get some yeah, free so- money. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, he's pretty good, though. Didn't he? He won that uh, pro that most recent big pro am, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. No, he's definitely a good player, but he tries to play against pros and basically just pays them. He'll say, "I've heard like hundred dollars a hole and stuff like that," and then they beat him on eight holes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we made over a hundred million in your NFL career, and you're getting like seventeen a year to broadcast football games you're not too worried about a hundred bucks a hole or whatever no, no. I, I bet he likes that yeah. like like he said it probably betting against people that are better than you makes he's trying to get better you know maybe yeah. maybe he can qualify he's qualified for like pro events before right yeah yeah he's gotten sponsor exemptions i mean in the corn fairy tour events and yeah all right well yeah. let's shift a little bit here we had a really the biggest the last big sports event of the summer in the open last weekend uh, we get your takeaways from that. Rory choked it again. I feel like that's just every 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 major he's going to be in the top five. But when I, on Sunday he's he's going to choke it away. Yeah, I mean, watching the final round, I didn't really pay that close of attention to like the putts that Rory was missing. But the fact that he hit eighteen greens was you'd expect him to at least make one putt but i mean he still shot two under which means he had a couple eagle putts and you know he at least didn't three putt those yeah and 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 cameron smith was hitting yes 20 footers that no one else was hitting on sunday so yeah uh i mean i mean when do you think do you think he's gonna do you think he's gonna win one of these majors like when's the last time he won I, i don't have that i don't i don't know 2014 2014 wow it's a while yeah he won two majors that year God, but uh, he's consistently at the top, I feel like. And, you know, it's. Yeah, I mean, I saw a post today. He was, I think, in the majors this year, he was like 25 under par, somewhere around there. And only four other people were under par for all four, like, who all made the cut. And then so also, Will Zaltoris was like, 21 under par so yeah, he's, he's kind of in the same boat and he's got his too. own issues that he has to deal well yeah his isn't his issue is uh his putting right he, he has like a shaky kind of. putter he yeah yeah he's shaky from close range but i mean at the i think at the pga championship or maybe it was the u.s open but through a couple rounds he was leading the whole field in strokes game putting so he's putting better than everybody else playing there. It's just he's he's he played some junior terms with me, and I played a couple college tournaments that he was in, and I didn't know him great, but um, my teammates who are from Dallas know him really well, and he's always been known to be just a phenomenal ball striker, and just has that one Achilles heel 
with like missing short putts, but yeah, I mean, he had the U.S. That was the U.S. Open. He had pretty much won until he missed that putt, right? Or he he was to go to a playoff. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, that was like a longer putt, and it was like really close to go in, but he misses a couple short putts throughout a tournament, um, and it, but he hits the ball so well that it kind of makes up for it. But the shots that he gives up by missing one, two, or three four footers per tournament like have definitely caught up to him a little bit i guess but yeah so you think tiger's done at st andrews being i mean obviously he's not going to be competitive in six years next time or five years whenever it comes back around but do you think he uh will will play it again john daly i hope he does i mean he brings so much attention to the tournament um I think he can maybe influence the tournament in another way. Just like, do you think he would ever be an ambassador and being there? Like an announcer, like kind of how, uh, like Jack at his tournament, you know, will will get in the booth, like kind of pop in. Yeah, yeah. I I think he he'll do that. You think he'd be good at that? Yeah, I mean, he kind of he's done it before. He at his at the uh, Genesis there and uh the hero in the bahamas that he also hosts he'll pop in and talk during those and he's yeah he's pretty good at that Hmm. so nick but i think it probably just by like the way that he walks around the golf course it just looks like it wears him down and um so I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't come back. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I, I saw that he played like double the practice rounds he usually played is at the open just to like, cause he was going all in on it. Do you think that kind of screwed him over? He was worn out by the, I have no idea. The first I mean, round. The, it, it just looks like it hurts for him to walk. Yeah. Have you seen those pictures of his calf? When, yeah, it, when he doesn't have that sleeve up. on, it's, he's got like a rod in there, right? Well, he's like, he's calf is like missing pretty much. It's, yeah. He's had some bad accidents. So. Yeah. Father Time gets the best of everyone, though, in sports. So, Shay, you got one more question before we get out of here? Oh, well, uh, we're finishing up. We're, we're running a little I got, close I on got, time. I got one for him real quick. Okay. Uh, we'll is there, the table. Yeah. Um, what are you um, working right now, if there's anything specific on your game, you know, to try to improve and uh, qualify for these events? Is there anything you're really focusing on um, in particular? And I've got to follow up with Corey real quick. I also want to know what you feel like you do well. Like, what are the best parts of your game, as well as what you're working on, like you said? I think, you know, I'm always trying to work on my ball striking. I don't hit it as great as a lot of my friends do, but I know, I mean, I guess my swing requires a lot of timing. Um <laughs> So it's not like completely fundamentally sound, but I feel like when I'm, you know, hitting it well, I can hit it almost as well as a lot of people. So I feel like I can at least compete. Um, So I've been working on is just kind of sharpening my short game and making sure my putting is, you know, comfortable and um, speed's good and my just not losing any strokes around the green um because when my ball striking is kind of lacking you know that's what can help me still put together a good round um but i think the thing i've gotten a lot better at over the past year um which i've been playing pro golf for a year now i think i've played enough tournaments and like made enough mental errors during my rounds like not really playing within my game and like playing with my strengths um i think i kind of just work my way around the golf course better if that makes sense all right nick well is there any way we can watch you this weekend um you can keep track of the scores on the pga tour app um if you ever watch like all right. Well, we'll we'll be following you. That's for sure. And uh, yeah. thanks for coming on. Uh, we appreciate it, and hopefully we can have you on again in the future.
Thanks, Nick. Good luck, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, good luck in Toronto. Appreciate it. All right, welcome back to the Lone Star Lowdown. Um, we're going to talk a little NFL football here, guys. And I got a little hypothetical question for the crew. Obviously, we know the Dallas Cowboys have lost Amari Cooper this offseason. The receiving core is really looking relatively weak compared to what we've seen from the Dallas Cowboys. And there's a couple receivers um, throughout the NFL who are sort of on the market, on the trade market, it seems. Um, DK Metcalf is one. And Debo Samuel's another one. Two very good players. So, hypothetically, you know, if the Dallas Cowboys were to want to acquire another elite-level receiver, which one uh, would you rather have out of those two guys? Obviously, we but we know that we, both of those guys' contracts are coming up soon, and you're going to have to pay them. Um, honestly, I think I would take Debo just because of the versatility he brings to an offense. I know part of the reason why he wants out of San Francisco is because they've been playing him too much at running back. And he doesn't want that kind of, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Label. Because well, yeah, he makes getting less paid, money. you get paid less, yeah. and you get hit more. Really, is the biggest things with it. Uh, and DK Metcalf, I still he's a he's a good receiver, and he's the physical traits are obviously there. They've been there since he's been in college. But to me, he still doesn't do much more than run straight down the field, and I mean, on streaks and beat people, which. I mean, hey, he's great at it. He's probably the best receiver in the league, the best deep threat, um, pound for pound receiver in the league. But the Cowboys already have that in CD Lamb and Mac- Michael Gallup's kind of a DK Metcalf knockoff. Be- yeah, Metcalf. yeah, yeah. Walmart and DK Metcalf. We're going to be missing him for probably three to four games to start the year, coming off that ACL tear. Um, but having someone like Debo Samuel to play off of CD Lamb's ability to get open in the middle of the field, um, they would, I think. Like they imagine CD Lamb and Debo Samuel both running slant routes, slant routes on the ten yard line. That's a guaranteed, t- yeah, guaranteed touchdown if you're running that across the middle. Shay, you got anything on that? Yeah, I mean, thinking about both of those receivers, Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf, I think they are very different, though they are very similar in the sense that they're young, uh, up and coming um, receivers on their respective teams. DK Metcalf, though, isn't even the best receiver on the Seattle Seahawks. That's Tyler Lockett. You love Tyler Lockett. He's got sure hands, and he makes all the big-time plays. Metcalf, I feel like I noticed he had a bit of a drop problem, and he's kind of a punk. I mean, like, you know, his character. I I question his character. And Debo Samuel, I don't really like him asking out of the situation, a situation that's you know, he's really come along uh, in that offense. And, yeah, they're using him a bit as a running back. But, you know, look at what that's done for him. It's made him one of the most talked-about names in the whole in, in all the NFL. He's certainly the most popular player on the San Francisco 49ers, which is a pretty big franchise. Um, so, yeah, I'd definitely rather have Debo Samuel. And I don't even know if I would use him as a running back if I was if I were the Cowboys. They wouldn't need to. Uh, it, I think I think that only really works in an offense like Shanahan ha- already has established. Uh, and, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily need to. You've got Pollard and Elliott. And so, yes, his ability to get open in the middle of the field, catch the ball on the run, and, you know, the physical play uh, that Samuel possesses in the open field, uh, I think are, are the more favorable attributes than maybe the outside speed of Metcalf. Um, I think maybe you could get Metcalf at a at a better bargain though. I think Debo Samuel's gonna you're looking at probably as much maybe he wants not, Tyree Kill money, apparently. Which he is should about get that. thirty a year. Metcalf? No, no, Debo. Yeah, yeah. Debo and he might deserve it. Uh I don't necessarily think he's as good or as valuable uh with his co- current contract and expiring soon as uh Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill and the Halls those respective teams got for those players. But I do think he's going to cost significantly more than Metcalf, who's on a team that's selling for the most part, is in a total rebuild, and is willing to unload uh, 
uh, potentially expensive uh, pieces that aren't in the immediate future of the team. Especially, you know, I imagine the Seahawks are going to be trying to get a, a high draft pick, a high you know, quarterback of the future. Yeah, I mean, if, if I was Jerry Jones, I'd give up a first first round next year, third third round pick the next uh, the draft after. I feel like that that'd be enough compensation for one of these guys. A first round pick's pretty high for a receiver these days. Yeah. What about like a three a three team trade where Metcalf? They would never happen in the NFC East. I'm sorry, NFC West. But uh, where like Metcalf goes to the Niners, Debo goes to the Cowboys, and then the you know the picks, the, the picks go to the Seahawks somehow. That'd be cool. NBA like. Has there been a th- three team trade in the yeah, NFL? There has been. I can't think of one off the top of my yeah, head. I wish but... you could do it in Madden though. Oh, That'd be cool. Haters. All right, so I got another hypothetical for y'all. So let's say the Cowboys have another. You know, mediocre season, maybe first round exit. We decided to fire Mike McCarthy. I'm going to give you all two coaches. You tell me which one you'd rather have. Sean Payton comes out of retirement or Bill Belichick is traded to the Cowboys. Bill, see, the thing with that is how much longer is Bill trying to coach? You know what I mean? If you guaranteed me. You good? I, hold on. I think my. Uh, Headphones went out. Hello, hello, hello. Just plug it in a different one. Right. Hello? hello? No. Just plug it in the other one. No, 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 no. It's not. It's separate. Just take that out. Oh. No, no, no. Yeah, just plug it in. All right, yeah. Okay. Good? Yeah. One, two, three. What were we talking about again? Belichick or Peyton? All right, good. So, yeah, I would just be... Curious about how if you could guarantee me that Belichick's going to coach for five years, both of them five years. Give me Belichick. Um, yeah, give me Belichick. If you look at what he's done, Sean Payton has one Super Bowl with the Saints. Uh, he's definitely hasn't hurt. Uh, it's not like he was hurting for talent. Um, then again, you know, as I say that, I'm definitely on the board that it was Tom Brady who was more important to that dynasty uh, than Bill Belichick. Uh, pretty much the question is offense or defense. Because yeah. I mean, Belichick's Ooh. gonna imagine what Belichick could do with Micah Parsons, what, yeah. the positions he could put him in. I, you know, I think uh, in a vacuum, I'd much rather an offensive-minded coach in today's uh, NFL. But Bill Belichick would be an ex- exception to that. He seems to be able to hire good offensive minds and let them do well, their thing. When he's also to- coached both sides of the ball, he he has some input on offense, obviously too. Yeah, I would go Belichick. Um, obviously, both of those guys would want control of personnel, which is something that we've never seen the Jones family willing to give up. I surely hope. That the old man Jerry Jones could swallow his pride for one of those guys and let them uh, pick the players. They seem to know what they're doing a lot more than him. Yeah, uh, the Cowboys haven't had a GM since Tex Graham in like the seventies. Yeah. Or so no, yeah, no, that, no, yeah, yeah. That that's that's what I would pick. Um, I think the Sean Payton one's actually decently likely to happen. So um, you're you're going Sean Payton? No, I'll go Belichick though. I'll go Belichick. Yeah, I'm gonna take Sean Payton, but it doesn't even come down to offense or defense. It's even if even if you're going to give you five years, it's going to take Bill Belichick way too long to come in and implement his system that's already in place in New England. You know the everything you hear about this regimented, uh, unlike any other franchise, how and how it's run. It's like West Point system <laughs> uh, and, and accountability of play amongst players, um, whether it's a rookie or ten year veterans. Um, just his whole style, and even if he could bring in all of his coaches and even maybe some of his players to jumpstart things, I just don't. I think the transition period is going to be too great, especially with guys like Jerry Jones and his son uh, being the general managers, and and just having there's just going to be too much strain on how the franchise is accustomed to running, and uh, you know throwing Belichick into that. I don't think he would be happy. I think you know he would clash uh, with with ownership. And though I think he's the the better coach, sure, uh, maybe the best coach ever, for all I know, uh, best coach I've ever seen. Uh, I, I, I think maybe he could win, but I don't think he's the best fit. I like Sean Payton because he wants to coach the Cowboys. He you know he's coached there before, and uh, it would be a homecoming for him. I think there's a lot of pieces he could make use of. I feel like Peyton got bored uh, after Drew Brees retired, and you know wasn't really ready for a total rebuild. I feel like he would like to go into a situation ready to win, uh, or at least a playoff ready uh, roster with a 
top top ten quarterback. I think he could do a lot with that. It'd be very attractive to him, and I think that'd be a better fit. Um, that being said, I think Belichick's a better coach. But for the Cowboys in this hypothetical, I'm taking Sean Payton. I agree with you, uh, purely because of the the transition, like you said. I, the, it would take too long uh, for to implement Belichick and his ideology, and he's already in his 70s, I think, or he's like 69. He's around there. They're he's, both old. I mean, but the hypothetical. No, is Sean forget- Payton's not that old. He's he's, he's in his pushing 50s. 60. He's probably 58. He's looking good. I mean, Belichick might even have a better chance to, like, win a Super Bowl with them than yeah, Sean I mean, Pe- You know what I mean? I think, I, well, yeah. It's a hypothetical. I, if I, we're, we're putting this out there. If, if both of them were offered the job and were willing to accept, who would you rather have? It's it's not really who yeah. you think is more likely to happen. Um, I, I But for both of those, I would take Sean Payton, who, who I think is more likely to happen and who, if – in this hypothetical, if they were both offered, I would still rather have Sean Payton for the longevity and just I think it would be a better fit. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so, yeah, uh, any more hypotheticals? You got one, Sherry? Come on. Um, well, shit. Uh, Put you on the spot. Uh, not off the top of my head. Kay. I mean, I got one. If you're the Houston Texans, would you trade six first-round picks no. for Aaron Rodgers? No. God, no. No. Not okay, okay, hold on. That old. If you're – let me switch because I guess that doesn't – the Texans are going to suck for a while. If you're the Arizona Cardinals, would you trade Kyler Murray and three first-round picks for Aaron Rodgers? Ooh, I'm about to be the Aaron Rodgers hater. I'm about to be the Aaron Rodgers hater. I get the talent, you know, people love to say, most talented thrower of the football I've ever seen, whatever that even means, you know, you can't quantify he throws it. A, he throws a it, pretty ball, you know, Corey. There's a lot of guys who throw pretty balls. Um, he's definitely kicked our ass plenty of times in the playoffs. I know what he can do. Don't don't get me wrong, but Aaron Rodgers has 10 playoff losses in his career. You know, he's a guy who makes the playoffs a lot and loses a lot. He loves to lose to Eli Manning at home. Well, he'll, hey, he'll hey, lose to Jimmy great, Garoppolo at home. Every great quarterback that doesn't win the Super Bowl makes the playoffs loses. Yeah, but he's al- he's also in a shitty division. It's kind of like how the Cowboys make the playoffs even in the years where they you don't think, have the you best You think team. Aaron Rodgers has overachieved or underachieved because in my opinion he's underachieved in postseason play. He's under, he should opinion. have more than one Super Bowl. Especially with the they've been 13 and 3 3 years in a row. He's only been to one or Super Bowl. Or 2 years in a row. You would expect him to have yeah. at least three appearances. He loses to inferior quarterbacks at home in the playoffs, and I feel like if that happened to Dak Prescott, or obviously I'm not saying he's as good as him, but a lot of other quarterbacks would get absolutely drugged for that. But for some reason, this guy just gets to slide by. Like, ooh, he scored ten points in a playoff game against San Francisco 49ers. I get it; it was a snowstorm, but when you come out throughout the week, oh, this is the frozen tundra. We're built for this. This is what this is our home field advantage. And then you lose to the Cali boys, you know. Up there in Wisconsin, yeah. You know what what do you think of his? Uh, what do you think of his tattoo? I posted it on our Twitter. I loved your caption that you made. It's yeah. just perfect. See, wasn't yeah, it? Bernie man. He's a hippie, bro. I, you know, I watch a lot of Pat McAfee show for uh, entertainment, and they announced uh, Aaron Rodgers Tuesday, and I'm like, yeah, this is gonna be sick. Gonna hear from Aaron Rodgers. About three weeks in, I'm like, man, I'm tired of hearing from. Does this he come guy. on every Tuesday? That was during uh, last season. It was uh, yeah. after every Tuesday, and after a while, I'm like, man. I don't really like this guy anymore. He's kind of a hippie. No, he's kind of like self-loathing. Yeah. Like, I don't, he always got that smug too look cool on for his, school a bit. Yeah, it doesn't. It kind of bothers me too that he doesn't have any like doesn't talk to his family at all. Like Jordan Rogers, his little brother. Yeah, who was on The Bachelor or like one of those shows, <laughs> and uh, and he played he played quarterback at Vanderbilt as well. But I I remember hearing in an interview like yeah they his whole family is like mom and dad hate him like he's just a dick to everyone doesn't talk to anyone. I can see that. Oh, he's been a punk since his days at Cal. Um, talking about how the the Bears should have made it over the Longhorns in that Rose Bowl. Um, Wait, was was that like 05? Yeah. What? The Bears. Get out of here with that, man. But go ahead. Anyway, uh, there's an incongruence. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has had a very successful NFL career, despite the fact he's only made and won a single Super Bowl. He's a... Uh, his accolades, the MVPs, the trips to the conference championship game, all that I think you could view on a larger scale of all NFL quarterbacks as being very successful. 
Uh, obviously, when you have a guy like Tom Brady in the same era who's won seven Super Bowls, nothing's going to compare. Uh, but there's just this incongruency I'm talking about between the media and how they portray Aaron Rodgers and how maybe talented of a quarterback he is and this assumption that a talented quarterback correlates to Super Bowl victories. Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. And there are a lot there's a lot of people out there that tell you he was the most talented quarterback of all time. Okay? Yeah. Way ahead of his generation stat-wise at least. Uh, you know, dude went 700 plus uh, passing attempts between sacks at one point. You know, got rid of the ball quick. Uh, you oh, know, wow. uh, until uh, until Herbert passed him up, had the most touchdowns through two years in his career in his fir- the first two years of anybody's career. Uh, you know, no Dan Marino talk. I'm just saying that the guy never won a Super Bowl. Okay, so back to the question though, Kyler and two firsts for Aaron Rodgers. If you're, would do you like that trade? If you're, uh, if you're a GM of either team, are you accepting that oh, trade? If I'm the fucking Green Bay Packers guy, fuck yes, I'm taking that trade. Yeah. Fuck yes. I'm getting not only a much, much younger quarterback of the future, but also some first-round picks that maybe they, you know maybe they'll be later, because I'm sure Aaron Rodgers will have the Cardinals uh, competing. Uh, but, yeah, fuck yes, I'm taking that trade, especially because you, especially because of all the rhetoric that's come out of Green Bay about him not wanting to be there and potentially trading him anyway. I think that's a monster of a deal for Green Bay. I feel like it's a ripoff for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I think in the NFL, first-round picks are just so, so valuable, you know, especially when it comes to, like, an older QB like that. So if I'm AZ, I don't think they'd accept it. Um, I think they're happy with their guy, and, you know, they're just going to roll with – Mr. Collar, midget Collar. So. <laughs> All right. Well, you got anything else? I, I like this little hypothetical roundtable talk here on, on the spot. Um, but we're about to wrap up the show. You guys got anything else before we close it up, things out? Um, no, not exactly, man. Uh, anything looking for, you're looking forward to next week in Training sports? camp's coming up in about a week for uh, most NFL teams. Um, so, yeah, that should be fun. Football season's finally almost we're, we're here. We're under 50 days. Under 50 days. Cannot wait. So hard knocks in the Hall of Fame game are coming up, coming up soon, man. We're gonna be we're gonna be covering everything about the NFL college football this season. Oh, so be, be ready high. for that. We're gonna be pushing. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we got some practice here in the dog days when there's not much to talk about. Yeah, and you have to do hypotheticals like this <laughs> to even to cover some time. You know. Well, well, I heard that um, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 had come together trying to do a partnership, but that that had fallen through. Mm-hmm. Did y'all hear the same thing? Yeah, I think that's more of they that the idea behind that was to bring all the teams together which yeah. I, I think one i think the pac 12 is just going to dissolve and or or they might they might lose a few teams and add some teams like boise state or fresno state or san diego state you know these team these california west coast teams that are ranked year of the year but are in the mountain west so don't play the kind of competition that is in the pac 12 usually yeah but look at what a team like you that's done for utah getting into the big conference i mean utah is possibly you know a top at least a top four program. They've been relevant for a long – Urban Meyer days. Exactly, exactly. Alex Smith. But everybody had to have those days. Like, remember TCU's glory day, and then, oh, yeah, they made it into the Big 12 but never, you know, repeated it. Utah, like, almost went to the college football playoff a few years ago. There was a big upset. They were good – well, Texas played them in the Alamo Bowl, and they were ranked, like, number five or they six. They were going to go to the playoff, and they had lost the either the Pac-12 championship or, like, the last game before the Pac-12 championship that kept them out of it, something like that. And so they didn't get to go to the playoff. But, uh, you know, the, the Pac-12, I mean, forget about USC and UCLA. Those teams haven't sniffed the shit. Washington's been, what, twice? Has Oregon been once or twice? I think At least twice. Yeah, like they went to the first one, the the very first they year played, I think they lost to Ohio State, and right? Then they, well, they played Jameis before that, but I'm not sure. That wasn't a playoff. Yeah, but though. that was the national title game, though, right? Yeah. yeah. And they, they played Auburn. That was a great national championship. That Kel- Kelvin, Kelvin, ben- Kelvin Benjamin touchdown at the end of the game. Do you remember Jameis' quote after? They give him the mic, and he says, yeah. What would you tell the guys on the huddle before the game went in drive? He said, I told him, uh, I said, I said, are you strong? <laughs> And I, they said, yeah, we strong. And I said, okay, we strong then. No, how strong? Okay, we strong <laughs> then. Yeah. Jameis Winston's no. the funniest athlete to ever live. No, yeah, we might have to put in some – I might put in some uh, just some Jameis Winston speeches because there's, there's a decent amount of them. There's one where he came back and talked to the in the locker room at halftime and 
Oh man, yeah. Ho- hopefully, I can put yeah, that. Yeah, came there, back. Buddy. That was that was some punk shit he did, man. Came back to a team he should have been leading, and like asked them why they weren't winning the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's wrap it up, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Make sure to like and follow on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, our Instagram, Lone Star underscore Lowdown. Twitter, Lone Star LD. Uh, we'll be putting out some shorts and uh, the interview with Nick Costello. We'd like to thank him again for coming on. Uh, we'll be looking forward to him, watching him starting on Thursday in the, uh, what was that tournament? Uh, Osprey Valley in Toronto. Yeah, man. The, uh, the Instagram is the Lone Star Lowdown. Oh, yeah, I changed, changed it? it. Okay, yeah, changed cool, it. cool, cool. Uh, the Lone Star Lowdown. You type it in, you should be able to find it. We, we're growing on there. Should yeah. be able to, should come up. Hell yeah. All right, well, I guess that'll do it. Uh, I'm Ty Henderson. Shay Holt. Corey Gidry. And we are the Lone Star Lowdown. Welcome. Butterflies, lullabies, get you nice stories. Better be telling lies like the revolution never televised. Everybody acting like they're victimized. Virtual, so you can see the venom in my eyes. Are you surprised? I'll let you digest, but my guess you're getting scurvy like the pirates. Stay scheming till you rich. While I stay flying in a pilot, turn around and where's your bitch? Got a hold in my pockets, getting head in the cockpit. I should probably stop this, but they never let me talk my shit. Get up, get on up. So for now